welcome to the Heartbeat for Hire podcast. I'm your host, Lindsay Dowd. My goal is to help train leaders and sales organizations how to manage and deliver results with empathy, compassion, and kindness. Let's get started. Attention, visionary leaders. Are you ready to elevate your leadership style and create an exceptional workplace that stands out from the crowd? I'm here to introduce you to a game-changing resource that will transform the way you lead and shape your company culture. It's time to embrace the power of top-down culture. This practical guide empowers your leadership for lasting success, helping you create a workplace where everyone thrives. Get top-down culture today and let's reshape the future of leadership together. Welcome to this episode of Heartbeat for Hire. I am delighted to bring you my guest today. Hannah Pryor is a highly sought after workplace performance expert and an award-winning two-time TEDx and global keynote speaker, executive facilitator, and coach. Her clients call her their secret weapon for impossible change, an honor she wears proudly. She's known for her science-backed approach to improving the performance, habits, and actions of hungry high achievers in her fun, no-nonsense, no-jargon way to move them from their first level of success to their next one. An accomplished speaker and trainer, she's been invited to speak twice for TEDx and brings her expertise to a variety of global organizations, including Google, Workday, FIS Global, and J&J. She has been featured in articles for media, including Forbes, Real Simple, Fast Company, and more. And her highly anticipated book, Good Awkward, just launched. Welcome to the show, Henna. Thank you so much. And I always have to laugh when someone's reading your bio and you're sitting there like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, like talk about awkward. That. <laughs> That's the most awkward thing of all. Just let me, want let me just smile and listen it's, while she does that. It, as I say to all of my clients, these are yeah. facts. These are not yeah. feelings. You be proud yeah. of these facts. And my gosh, you've accomplished so much. So welcome to the show. Would you share a little bit of your background with everyone? Of course. First of all, I'm so happy to be here. And, you know, Lindsay, you and I are, are new to each other and just the instant connection and kinship when, you know, you suggested being on the show, it was like, this is like a no brainer. big <laughs> job, right? Of course. You. Absolutely. A uh, little bit of my background. So I, you know, just, again, I, I have to start slightly at the beginning because I do feel like it informs who I am. Yeah, and so do. I am the firstborn daughter of immigrant parents. My dad was born in India. My mom was born in Pakistan. Um, my dad was born with very little. He was poor, you know, his entire life. My mom, comfortably middle class in Pakistan. They had an arranged marriage. She was 17. He was 30. They came to the United States. 11 months later, had me. So why do I share all of that before I start talking about my professional journey? And I share it because their story informed a lot of my way of working. You yeah. know, they were working class risk takers who constantly had to reinvent themselves in order to be successful in this country. Um, you know, I did have an orientation for achievement very young. I think that's, you know, partially cultural. I think a lot of children of immigrant families, you know, they made a lot of sacrifice, my parents, in order to give my sister and I a good life. And so a lot of that informed who I became as an adult. But my career has taken kind of two major career pivots. I started in public accounting. I worked for a large public accounting firm, Ernst & Young, big four. And then a couple of years into that, pivoted to professional staffing. So 90 degree turn. I was uh, an executive search and staffing for 14 years. And then a couple of years back, pivoted again into executive coaching and now primarily 
keynote speaking and facilitation. So a journey of pivots, but I have really enjoyed my pivots immensely. And I think it informs a lot of the work I do today. I mean, pivot is one of my favorite words. And I think when I was just talking about this yesterday on a podcast that um, pivot is not a bad thing. Pivot is an intentional choice to move in a new direction. And you've done that really well. And I just can't imagine your parents knowing you were at EY, which is, you know, a highly sought after role. And you're like, I'm out, I'm going somewhere yeah. else. I mean, how did they handle that? How did you handle that? And I know, I, I know the backstory for why you jumped into staffing, but share a little of that. Sure. Um, so I'll, I'll first start by giving them enormous credit. They handled it beautifully Aww. because I know they were afraid, you know, that, that gender, I think generationally too, I don't think this is just true of immigrant parents, but you know, yeah, our, our parents' generation for many of us uh, valued different things professionally, one of which was stability. You know, that was very, very high on the list. Stability was high on the list. And, uh, you know, as to you know, parents who were working class immigrants to the United States who wanted nothing more for their children than stability to say, hey, I want to leave this global, well-recognized, stable accounting job. And yeah. I want to go into something to be very clear that was 100% commissions, 100% commissions. They were a little bit like, okay, are you sure? Right? Like, are you sure about that? Now that said, what I honor them for is they trusted me. They trusted my decision-making. You know, I've always sort of proven myself as the firstborn child to be someone who made good decisions. So they said, if you think this is a job that would be good for you, that you've been successful in, then we support your decision. You know, mm. you're an adult at this point. And so I know there was some fear behind that change, but within a short period of time, I think within a month or two, they're like, she's going to kill this, right? Well, she's yeah. And you, and kill it. You did. And yeah, I did. And time's <laughs> over. So that, that's yeah. awesome. But I will, I will echo. It's not just an immigrant parent thing because my yeah. parents, when I was making my big pivot, my mom's words were, can't you just get a job and yeah. do this on the side? And I'm right. like, no, it doesn't. No. Yeah. I don't have enough time to do that. So no, yeah. we're going to take a risk and I'm going to bet on me. And we had to have like words about that because she was very sure. fearful that, I would not be able to survive. And I think she knew yeah. I would, but she- But it's a place of love, right? Totally. They do it out of pure love and pure protection of, I don't want you to have to struggle. No, and so I I heard them and I honored them and I you know, appreciated that care. But at the same time, I was grateful that they were able to push that aside in service mm -hmm. of, we trust her. We trust yeah, her, she'll get it. I love that. Those are big, big words um, and very important words. So it's amazing. Yeah. So- you're staffing, you're crushing it, you're top performer over and over again. When What brought the other pivot? Mm, so this was the hard pivot. So the first pivot was easy because I, Ernst & Young, I've, you know, again, just to give positive credit, yeah. I've made some of my, my lifelong best friends. In fact, one of my coworkers at Ernst & Young is coming to the beach tonight. We're going out Hi. for dinner. You know, uh, I made friendships that will last a lifetime. Auditing was not for me, right? I, you know, while there was some people interaction because it was client service. Not really. It's a numbers game. It's pretty isolated. You're in dark conference rooms. <laughs> the personality match wasn't there. So that was a very easy, I'd like, I need to exit and try something different. The second time around, not so easy. So I, you know, 14 years, top of my game, pretty much all of those 14 years, I got married at this firm. I had babies at this firm. They were very supportive of flexibility back mm -hmm. before flexibility is in the driver's seat the way it is now. Right. So at the time I was working from home most days a week, only going to the office once or twice. Nobody else was doing that. So on paper here, I have the amazing income. 
I've got the amazing flexibility that allows me to be a present mother to my children. My, you know, managers gave me full autonomy to do the job my way. Everything on paper, everything, Lindsay, was a 10. And for about two or three years, there was just this pit in my stomach of, I'm really good at this, you know, humbly, I'm good at this and it can make me a lot of money, but I feel like I've stopped growing. I feel like I've plateaued. I feel like I'm not learning anything new. Everyone is coming to me to learn from, but there was no one in my immediate vicinity that was stretching me to hit my next level of potential. And, um, something one of my own coaches said to me years ago that stuck with me. She said, you know, we were exploring my fears, both the obvious ones and the hidden ones. And she said to me, Hannah, you're not afraid of failing that much. I can tell you're not really that afraid of failing, but you're terrified of not meeting your imagined potential. Mm. And she said that that. I was like, that's it. Yeah. That I lose sleep over the idea of not meeting my imagined potential. And so a moment came where I'd had this feeling in my stomach for a few years, but this was my pivotal moment. I went out to check the mail and I looked up and I saw a cloud and it kind of looked cool. I was like, oh, it looks like a bear. And I had this moment wash over me. Like it just smacked me out of nowhere that said, when was the last time you looked up at a cloud? Yeah. <laughs> and I realized the answer was years, like years. I had just gotten, you know, I had babies. I was working every spare minute and I was trying to be healthy and work out. And then I had not looked up. And in that moment, I was like, something has to change. Something has to change. I'm ready to do something that fulfills me. I'm ready to do something that allows me to look up from time to time. And and that was it. I just started to say Mm. what's next and started that rediscovery of what was available in the next phase. I love that. And I I love that you understood that feeling. I mean, for me, I spent, you know, 23 years at IBM and every two and a half to three and a half years, I was like, okay, I learned what I can learn here. I need something new. And that challenge was always a good thing. It wasn't like, I'm tired of this. I got to get out of here. It was, I'm ready for something new. I'm ready to learn. I'm ready for more inspiration. And and I honored those feelings. But when you're in a company and you're just navigating through the company, you're not really even interviewing. You're you're being handpicked for jobs, which is very cool. Um, But it's not like, taking a giant risk, you're going to learn something new and you're going to be challenged, but you did something way more risky. So can can I just say one, just one follow-up thing. It's harder. And this is not meant to sound as bougie as it's about to sound. It's harder when you're successful. It's harder. You know, you were good at your job at IBM. I was good at my job at K-Force. I was, you know, there was a lot of identity wrapped up in that. And so I remember when I was thinking about, I think I'm ready for something else. I literally had friends, you know, well-intended say to me, why would you leave that dream job? You're crazy. crazy. Yeah. Right. And it makes you question yourself. You're like, oh, why would I? And so listening to that voice, really listening to it is the hardest thing I ever did. It no scared the hell out of me. Yeah, I, I get that. I left a 105-year legacy from my family at Big Blues. Mm-hmm, <laughs> like, mm-hmm. People said, we thought you were going to die here. And, and you know, yeah. that was a very intentional, big, scary jump. And, okay, so you become a coach. Did you, you went and got your certification? Did. did you do that right away? Okay. I, I did it actually while I was still at K-Force and I was very transparent. I said, Hey, I'm, I want to scratch this itch about this thing that interests me. I don't know what I'm going to do with it yet. So actually, you know, I don't That's believe true. in jumping, with, jumping without a parachute. I didn't, I didn't just leave blindly one day. I said, let me start planting seeds. Yeah. Let me learn a little bit more about this profession. And so, yeah, while I was there, I did my coach certification at American in DC. Great. 
Um, and then you became, you found, when did you find Limitless Minds? When did you mm -hmm. start speaking? Tell me about that transition. Yeah. So I started coaching, you know, I left, I left my job, my full-time job, September, 2019, which is not that long ago. I think people think it was much longer ago and, uh, took a few months off to just breathe and really kicked off my career. My started my company priority group in January, 2020, which sounds like terrible timing given what happened in March, but it wasn't because everybody in that period of time was having this look inside. Oh my gosh. You know, there yeah. was a an expression I heard, everyone decided it was time to look for a new job, house or spouse. <laughs> what, what are we doing with our lives kind of right. moment occurred. And so there was actually very high demand for executive coaches. And even though I was newer to the game, I was able to build up a roster pretty quickly there. Um, I then just, you know, I really, I'm a voracious networker. That's always mm -hmm. been part of my, you know, people always ask that, like, what would you do for a job? If you knew that finances would be taking care of itself, what would you spend all day doing? And it's a professional networker. You know, is that, is that a job? I just, I think we need to create people. it. Cause I'm like, yeah. you. I, I enjoy that immensely. <laughs> I love meeting new people. I love finding out their story, their origin story, what makes them tick, you know? And so, uh, through a lot of networking, I got involved, you know, both building my own practice and then in a couple of partnerships. So chief was one of my first ones They're you know, large women's network yep. for leaders and then Limitless Minds uh, through a friend, Casey Jaycox, he said, hey, there's this organization, they're doing a lot of you know, mindset training, consulting, coaching, I think your voice would be a really interesting addition. And I met Harry Wilson, and you know, he and his brother, Russell Wilson, and their former yeah. uh, mental conditioning coach founded it. And, you know, what, what's, to me, I think most important about those experiences is what, especially once I started to anchor more into keynote speaking, speaking can be lonely. Yeah. And having some of those partnerships gives me a chance to be part of a team. So it's really a wonderful blend that I think it's allowed me to have in my career to have those partnerships and also have my creativity to do my own stuff. I agree. And I think for any entrepreneur, for anyone that's thinking about becoming an entrepreneur, you have to supplement some partnerships or some regular conversations because it yeah. can be lonely. It can be really isolating. And if you are a person that really enjoys the company of others, you need to seek it out and be very intentional about it because yeah. otherwise you'll be like, oh, what am I doing out here all by myself? And the days get long. Um, so yeah, it's important. Yeah. So you mentioned to me about the inspiration for Good Awkward. Um, and why don't you just kick that off? Because it's so cool. Sure. sure. Thank you. I love this word. <laughs> I just I have, a, I have a love affair with this word. You know, one of the little lines I use in my keynote on the same topic is, you know, Awkward is one of those words that feels in your mouth the same way it feels in your body. Yeah. It's like, it's so clunky, true. it's stumbly, it's fumbly, your tongue and your roof of your mouth, the way you have to move it to even say the word. And, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't a word that I think I would have used to identify myself right away. But as I started to explore it, I realized that my entire childhood, teenagerhood, high school, into the beginning of college, I think I started to, you know, feel a little less so in college, but awkwardness was my life, was my journey. You know, I was beyond being just sort of like a nerdy child of the eighties. I was a child of immigrants whose clothes were a little different, whose food smelled different, who, you know, I remember for years, I would call a turn signal an indicator because that's what my parents called it. And, and my friends would be, what's, what's an indicator? What's an indicator? <laughs> I'm like an indicator. Like, I, is it called something else? Right. And so the, the story was always my bumpy edges always felt on display. And I desperately felt like the me that I wanted to be was clashing 
with the version that everybody else saw on display. And all I wanted to do was fit in. All I wanted to do was be a Jessica, a Samantha, a Jennifer. That's like, all everybody I wants, by the way. Right, so. <laughs> right. But why am I, why am I henna, right? And at the time in the 80s, like Hannah Barbera was a thing. And I'm like, oh, right. good Lord, right? So there's all of that was the origin story. But then, right. you know, fast forward, let's say 15, 20 years when Queen Brene Brown came onto the scene and just was all of us, you know, in the professional development world started to consume her stuff at length. And I remember listening to her podcasts and I remember her saying her, one of her little taglines is stay awkward, brave, and kind, stay awkward, brave, and kind. And I immediately loved it. And then my second reaction was, okay, my parents taught me how to stay brave mm -hmm. and I know how important it is to stay kind but staying awkward, I've been trying to shake that off my whole life. Right. What do you mean stay awkward? I don't want to stay awkward, right? Like that's an uncomfortable feeling. I don't like it. And it led me to the realization that awkwardness is an emotion that we all experience so often and yes. so viscerally at work to the point where often it can completely hold us back from taking the risks, from finding the authenticity, from you know se securing the confidence. And no one had yet done a deep dive into that mm -hmm. specific emotion, not just uncomfortable, but awkwardness specifically. And so once I realized that I started researching it and what I found was so damn fascinating that it just became the ethos for the first TEDx and now the book. I I cannot wait to get my hands on the book. Congratulations <laughs> on becoming an author. I'm, I'm right there with you. Uh, my book is just coming out too. So, yes. um, but so dig a little deeper on this because I mean, when I think of awkward, just like you said, it's awkward in your mouth, it's awkward in your body, all of it. And this is much even bigger than business. I mean, this is something mm -hmm. that I wish parents would teach kids because our kids are so afraid of being uncomfortable. And especially as a teenager, everything's awkward. The way yeah. you talk to an adult is awkward. You can't be too enthusiastic. You can't be too boring. You got to be like somewhere in the middle and everybody's bumping into everything all the time. But I think it's the same as everyone's trying to figure out their life, meeting new people. Oh my God, I just said the dumbest thing or whatever yeah. it is. Um, yeah. So what would you uncover in some of your research? Yeah. So what's, uh, I love what you said about the, the teens thing. It's a, actually my publisher and I are already teasing the idea of like a good awkward for teens, right? You Something that's um, just adapted for that age. And, and what you're pointing to is both true in teens, but also adults navigating this new kind of funky hybrid. Are we in yeah. person sometimes, you know, awkwardness is an experience that's a social emotion, right? right? So we don't, if we trip over our own two feet, but no one was around to see it, we don't usually feel awkward. We feel awkward if the person who, you know, the cute boy saw us do it or the person that we were trying to impress saw us do it. So it's a social emotion. Some people describe it as a trait, right? I am awkward. I am socially awkward. I consider myself awkward. For some people, it's just a state. Oh my gosh, that was such an awkward conversation. Or I feel mm -hmm. so awkward about the way that went down. Or, you know, this presentation feels really awkward. It can be a temporary fleeting thing. Um, some of the most interesting research and what a lot of it, uh, you know, as we unpack all the different concepts in the book, what it anchors to is social muscle can atrophy the same way physical muscles do. So if you don't go to the gym for a really long time and try to pick up a weight, we've all, you know, many of us have tried that and we're like, yeah, that sucks, right? That doesn't feel good. I'm not performing nearly at the level that I want. Social muscles can do this too. And so yeah. this research actually starts decades ago with, you know, there's some, uh, jobs and vocations that are naturally more isolated, like astronauts and polar explorers are naturally Accounting. more isolated. <laughs> Accounting. Yeah, sure. Um, 
And there's research that shows that their social muscle, their ability to like, you know, I jokingly say, remember how to people when they're back Uh around people, it atrophies. And what's funny is all of us had a chance to experience that when things started opening back up after the pandemic, when all of a sudden we started meeting in person again. And even those of us that consider ourselves wild extroverts were like, I forget how to do this. Yeah. Right. Are we, sh- are we shaking hands? Are we fist bumping? Are we, uh, uh, you know, just everything felt awkward again. And so increasingly to your point about teens, as the world goes more hybrid, more digital, you know, there was a meme going around. That's like, um, all the doorbell companies are going to go out of business. Cause now we all just text here. That's right. <laughs> we don't even go to the door anymore. And so our ability to manage social situations is increasingly declining. Yes. But we can't let those muscles atrophy because no matter what the format of the world looks like going forward, they're necessary skills. They're the skills that robots can't replace. Mm-hmm. So we need to over-index and over-correct on how do we keep those not only alive, but healthy and thriving. How do we strengthen yeah. them? And so the book sets out on you know answering that question and how to do it. Oh my gosh. Well, please, please, please write the teen book because yeah. <laughs> I have I have twin teenagers and my son could completely disappear, talk to all of his friends playing games, but he's not in person with them. Yeah. And, you know, I worry about that. I want him to, you know, be able, and he, his away game is great, but I always am like, can't you see a friend in person today? Like yeah. he's off doing a million things like, come on. Yeah. And, you know, he's fine when he's in front of other people, but I, I worry because they can easily mm-hmm. isolate themselves behind those keyboards and, it's, it's a skill they need. And eye contact is like a losing battle with a lot of kids. I warn my kids all the time. I'm like, tell your friends when they come to our house, I'm going to talk to them. Right. <laughs> like, and and, and, and I'm, I'm right there with you. My daughter's 13. And, you know, sometimes I find myself fighting the frustration of, you know, yeah. look your server in the eye, please. Yeah. But I realize, and this is like a really important, I'm not, you know, removing blame or adding blame. It's just, it's a lack of conditioning. It it's is a lack of practice. You know, yeah. I, the other day, our, uh, there's that website toast tab where you can do like online yeah. ordering of food and it was down for the Mexican restaurant we wanted. And so I suggested to my daughter that she call and place in the order. And I may <laughs> as well have asked her to pick up feces with her bare hands. Like yep. It was like, Oh, what mom? Yeah. What? I'm not going to talk like, oh, okay. to them. Yeah. But she's, she's never done that before, mm-hmm. you know? And, and one of the things that I think it's important for caregivers and parents to remember is they can't help when they were born. No, right? they can't help it. So it's up to us to again, create environments, create opportunities. Intentionality yeah. is key to embrace the good awkward is how do we create this? And, and it's not just kids, you know, people think, okay, well, of course, teenagers are like that. Now, if you're an adult, I need you to ask yourself, honestly, have you ever hammered the elevator closed door button shut just to mm-hmm. avoid having small talk with someone? If the answer is yes, this is you too, Yeah, right? Your social muscle has atrophied. And so we just have to acknowledge that everyone is in oh. a place where they could benefit from conditioning these muscles. Such a great topic. I, we could go on for <laughs> hours about this. Um, okay. So pivoting just a little, so you work with a lot of leaders. What are some of the best qualities you see in the most successful leaders? Mm, that's a great question. I, you know, I have to, I, I'm almost hesitant to say this because it's such a buzzword right now, real, true authenticity, you know, everything, the book about awkwardness is really, it's, an obstacle to authenticity. You know, right now it's buzzy to say, hey, you know, authentic leadership, full-hearted leadership, that's where it's at, right? And I hear a lot of leaders, they hear that, they see that and they're like, I want that. How come, you know, everyone keeps saying I can be authentic, but like, I don't, 
I don't know how to be, or I don't know how to find it. And so to me, awkwardness is one of the emotions that when left unexplored stands in the way of that. But when you see it, when you work for a leader who is bringing their entire selves, both their smooth and confident edges and their bumpy, less than perfect edges, name a leader that is more beloved by their people. Obviously there's other factors too, right? Respect and, and empowerment, all the other things. But these are the leaders that are winning the trust, the respect, the transparency, you know, quiet quitting. There's a stat I have to, I wish I had it at my fingertips, but about quiet quitting happens less when you have a leader that is truly authentic because there is that, that open communication. They don't feel that that leader has a wall. And so they feel more inclined to tell the truth about what's going on. So, I mean, that's, that's gotta be number one up there for me lately is the other skills are important, but authenticity when done right yeah. is magical. And it really informs the other leadership qualities too. I, I I love that's what you picked. And I think it drives so much of their behavior um, because if you're willing to be authentic, which means you're willing to be vulnerable, it means that you are going to show your heart. Um, everything else can fall in place after that. And I think what leaders really forget is that they are modeling the behavior they want from their people, whether they realize it or not. So if they're going to jump up and down on a table and scream that everybody's stupid, everybody's going to think that's acceptable. And this is the way right. he wants to run the company or she. And, you know, if you are saying, hey, guys, I did not handle myself well. I apologize. I am working on it. I hired a coach, you know, I'm a work in progress. We all are. So just be patient with me as I try and get better. First yeah. of all, if you put yourself out there, you're going to be received well, um, right. unless you've been a total turn to everyone. And then you've got to do an apology tour, but <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think that one of the, one of the concepts I explore in the book is the difference between awkwardness and vulnerability, which are, you know, related, but not the exact same thing because vulnerability is higher on the emotional exposure scale. Yeah. But my assertion is if you can't get comfortable with that little bit of awkwardness with your teams, with your colleagues, with your peers, vulnerability, you know, at best is a little, you know, still a ways out of reach mm. or at worst, you're going to play that faux vulnerability game oh. on the, the, the airs of vulnerability. And everyone's like, okay. And they can see right through that. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. And that's I, even more dangerous. You're, it's a trust, trust killer. Yeah. So, I mean, this is probably going to be a pretty obvious question, but, um, I know where your heart is. So how important has culture been in the companies that you work at? I imagine most of them have pretty good culture if they're hiring you. Um, but talk a little about that and the importance it plays. Yeah, I, I, you know, to me, it's everything right now. Again, when I found an interest in this topic, it really is speaking to the social side of things. And so yeah. culture is a social activity. You know, it's made one person at a time, but culture is one person at a time interacting with another one person, right? And over time, it spreads out into the web that becomes company culture. And so what I think is really important right now is, you know, if we are to bring our human side to work, if we are to let our edges show is how is, you know, the, the leadership for sure creating a culture, at least creating, they're not going to create the culture. They need to create the conditions for the culture. Mm -hmm. You know, this is what I think is right. is important to have that distinction. Oftentimes, I think that the way the phrasing is used is, you know, the leaders need to create the culture. The leaders need to set the tone and create the space and the conditions that allow other people to interact with each other to create what ends up being the culture. And so is this an environment where mistakes are, you know, they say they're welcome, but ultimately when one makes one, it's like, 
putting them on blast and shaming yeah. them? Or is there a culture where, you know, one of the workshops I do with leaders is, hey, you know, five minutes at the beginning of a meeting, do a bad idea brainstorm or share your cracked egg stories where it's literally not just allowed, but actually almost required or it's invited right. to share some of your missteps. And the research actually says that when people start meetings that way, the rest of the ideas that follow in the meeting are more creative, more so open, more generative. So th this is actually a business strategy to that. be higher performers at work. This is not just a, oh, we're just trying to let it be okay to talk about silly stuff. This is a business strategy yeah. to up-level performance. And I think once leaders see it that way, the culture, you know, when you create space, it takes care of itself. People will create it if you create the conditions for it. I, I love how you said that. And I love that practice of starting with the cracked egg stories first. I think yeah. um, you're creating psychological safety. You're sharing, you know, look, we all have bad days. We all have bad ideas, but you know, let's have a good laugh, let's chuckle mm -hmm. and let's figure out what really works. And when you can create that space, the innovation comes, the collaboration comes, yes. the results come. And I think gone are the days where I, I hope that we're in this transformation right now where people understand culture is not a nice to have. Building mm -hmm. great culture is a must. And if you want to see results, you've really got to invest in it. And there's a lot of leaders that I've been doing it this way for 30 years, you know, yeah. that those methodologies are tired. They need to yeah. kind of, some of them can stay, but a lot of them need to go. Um, yeah. So yeah. I mean, we, we could go, we could spend another hour on this. So, but I would say, you know, it's just really important to understand that what is going to drive your kind of newer generation of workers, it just isn't the same thing that motivates and drives you. And so when we think about culture, we have to unpack it. We have to untangle it. It's, you know, we're, we're working with people that are looking at, you know, their career, their lives from very different lenses. And when right. we don't create space for all of those things, none of the other, you know, fuel on top is going to do anything. I couldn't cool. agree more. And yes, we could talk about this for hours. Okay. <laughs> so um, one of my favorite questions, what inspires you? Oh gosh, so much. Um, just, I, I feel like this is a really cheesy answer, but just humans. I'm so fascinated by humans, especially people who are just very different than me. You know, mm -hmm. I, I grew up in a, again, just a household of immigrant parents, achievement oriented. I've always been extroverted. I've always been kind of like loud and just, you know, wanting to be the life of the party. You know, there's just certain traits that I think are sort of inherent in me. And one of my most joyful curiosities lately is really stepping into learning from people who are wired completely differently than me. So slightly quieter, more reflective and thoughtful, um, maybe is just, you know, has his interests of things that are things that I'd never even considered as being like a hobby. Um, so right now I, I'm finding really deep inspiration from widening my network to people that are nothing like me mm. and letting that kind of feed my next wave of discovery about things that might be interesting to explore next. Oh, so that's that's that. what it, what it is right now. I, I love that. And I, I loved when I built my teams, that was how I built my teams. I loved people that had a really different perspective, really different background, different way of doing things because it made us all better. It, yeah. it made us all grow and think of things we never could before. And that's how yeah. we crushed it. So I love that. Um, what would you like your legacy to be? Nah. Questions like that always make me cry. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Um, We've had lots of tears on this podcast. Oh gosh. Yeah. <laughs> 
I think about that a little too much. If I just, I'm just going to confess to you. I think about that a little too much. And I actually, here's, here's going to be my very untraditional answer to that question. I don't know. And I don't care. And here's why there's a reason I can very easily become too future focused. I'm very challenged and it is my growing edge on a daily basis in the idea of staying in the present. I am, I'm an Enneagram seven. If anyone knows the Enneagram, I'm always like, what's next? Like I'm planning my you know next vacation while on vacation. Mm-hmm. If I start thinking too hard about my legacy, I start thinking too hard about what I'm doing next yeah. and how big that'll be and what the impact will be. Honestly, like I read something recently that really caught me. It was, you know, when people are talking about you at your funeral, they're not talking about your achievements. They're talking about the person who you were while you were achieving. And so I hope my legacy is that every single person that I talk to right now feels like I was Mm -hmm. here with them because that's the work that I'm working tirelessly to do on a daily basis. And the rest of it's the rest of it's gravy. I hope people feel seen when they're around me. They definitely do my friend. So you're, you're well on your way for that. And I love staying present. I think that has a massive impact on the people around you and it is so easy to flip and focus on the next and, you know, what's my next challenge and how am I going to grow? And I think being present is incredible for everybody that's in your midst. So, well, and if I, if I can just bring it full circle, being present is awkward, right? These days it's so much easier to be like constantly scanning the room and constantly like checking your phone and not making conversation with somebody in the grocery store line. And it is easy to numb out with technology and it is easy to distract. And so you know, drawing the connection, like awkwardness is a good feeling. If your goal is to be present, you got to be willing to stay in it. And sometimes it still is for me to be that present because it feels awkward, but I have to be willing to stay there. I have to, or life, life will pass me by. Well, you're the person that I'd like to run into at the airport because you'd probably talk to me. (laughs) I will. (laughs) Oh, rest assured. I will. (laughs) No, no problem. I talk to everybody, but (laughs) that's awesome. Well, Hannah, how do people find you? Uh, Hannah Pryor everywhere on LinkedIn, on Instagram, um, hannahpryor.com will also redirect to my company page, which is priority group. And if anybody's interested in the book, goodawkward.com is the landing page. There's some more information about it, but it is available for pre-order. And for people who pre-order, I do have some goodies that I will happily send you in the mail if you send me your address. So, uh, always happy to make new friends, just connect, please. And I'd love to, to know more of your audience, your wonderful audience. Oh, well, this has been a joy, a thrill, so enlightening. Thank you so much for being a guest on the show. And um, everyone, I hope you enjoyed this episode of Heartbeat for Hire. Take care. There'll be more next week. Thanks, Lindsay. Pleasure. Thanks for listening to Heartbeat for Hire. If you like what you hear, I'd love it if you'd subscribe and leave a five-star review. To keep the conversation going, you can find me on Insta or at LinkedIn at Lindsay Dowd, H4H, or you can reach me at my website, heartbeatforhire.com. Thanks so much. Have a great day.